This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It was super fucked up. It's like I would love to even tell some of the stories that I knew, like, growing up about how bizarre this person was and how great the family was and how now looking back, he's... But I, I'm so nervous if he ever gets out. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Lingletter and Billy Jensen. And before we start today, I'm going to follow Alexis's notes. And I'm just going to say, you know, if you're out there listening and you haven't done this yet, maybe you should go onto iTunes and give us a little five-star review and write something nice about us. Right, guys? Hell yeah. That would be wonderful. We're sitting at 4.7. So if we go to 4.8, we will be officially like sort of like a five when you look at it no we were a five for the longest time i don't know whose feather is i probably ruffled but i apologize we've Uh, we've ruffled a few feathers but it's not because of the content of the podcast you know sometimes you just gather some haters along the way but that's okay so go and uh cross those haters out leave us a five-star review and uh while you're at it you can follow us on instagram and join our super secret facebook group we're talking all things true crime and like so many other random tangents that we've been on since we started killing yes. time. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think it's uh the people that want um just true crime and only true crime are getting a little mad in the Facebook group, but you know what? Sometimes you really got to debate all the things that we're debating every week. Mm-hmm. So, that's right. All right, well, Billy, what day is it today? We have a lot to choose from. I'm going to start off with National Fajita Day. Oh. Do like a fajita. Love a good fajita. Love a good fajita. National Ice Cream Pie Day. Okay. Ooh, like ice cream on a pie? No, like ice a cream pie. Car? Oh, like an ice cream sandwich? Like an ice cream pie. Like it's a pie. Sort of like an ice cream cake, but it's actually made like a pie. I've never and had then that. You, I don't you even guess. think that's a thing. It is a thing. Helium Discovery Day. Oh. Nothing Seems like the first balloon was blown up on uh-huh. this day at some point. Yeah. 
And I, I actually did research into how they discovered it, and you guys would have been so bored, but you can look it up if you want to. But yeah, nah. something with the sun or something in prison. Thank you for sparing us. Yep. <laughs> and it's also National Bad Poetry Day. Oh, that's not you, though, Billy, is it? Class poet <laughs> over here. Class poet. He oh, couldn't believe have been me, bad. there were a lot of really, really, really bad poems. Uh, Whenever I hear class poet, I just think of Billy with some bongos. And I'm just like, <laughs> why am I having bongos? Because Why, that's what, what people do he's at like poetry a, readings. He's like a oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, a beatnik. Like, in 1958. Yeah, with your ponytail and your earring, you were a beatnik. <laughs> I would love. And your little glasses. I want to see Billy in a ponytail. Can you grow your hair out? No, I'm not doing that just to see, just for you to see it. Then you'd be like, I have to spend like eight months with ha- horrible no, hair. And you know what? You will hate it. We'll see. And then you'll be like, like, no, you'll no. be like, eh, okay. And then no, that's it. No, no, we'll be I like would, hard pass. I know there's never been a man with long hair I didn't like. I would love it. I love every man with long hair. I have, you know what? I just found a, a photo of me without the ponytail with my long hair that I might post on, on Instagram <gasps> at some point. When did yes. you have long hair? I ha- why did you? Th- I had a ponytail, but then I I opened it up, and then for the sort of rock star hair for the non-existent rock star that I was. Aww. So, um, yes, uh, that that'll that'll come. You don't want to drop that you play several instruments that we've never seen or heard you play. <laughs> you know what? Bring them out, and I will play them for okay. you. Uh, I need a list. I'll go buy them right now because I want to see this yes. happen. All right. Well, is there anything else? It's mail order catalog day. Remember when we used to order uh. from catalogs? Yes. Loved a good catalog. Man, what a good throwback. I wish that we, that was such a nice memory when you were a kid. I miss Delia's. Delia's was the shit. Delia's was great. And their pictures. I mean, it's quintessential 90s. Or I also miss the Sky Mall a lot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I miss the one. Sky Mall was great. I mean, what a way to pass the time on the airplane. Seriously. Absolutely. The best gadgets that you'd never... That, that you don't, don't need, need. You didn't know you needed. But you know what? It passed the time, especially for... I knew a lot of people that were that were, that were were bad flyers, and they would just study that, and that would get them through the trip. Has anybody out there... I want to know. Somebody posts about this in the Facebook group. Has anybody ever purchased something from the Sky Mall catalog? Or Let is that just something you- everybody just browses? We'll see. I we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. adolescent years are tumultuous ones, scorched with teenage angst and pumped full of hormones. Aimless teens are weaving their way through middle and high school. Everything seems so large and uncertain as we struggle to find our place in this big, scary world. With such pressure, it's no surprise that many high school kids struggle with self-esteem, with fitting in. Many look to teachers and parents for guidance and solace. But then there are those who very much struggle with authority. It's as Oscar Wilde once said, wherever there is a man who exercises authority, there is a man who resists authority. And that resistance to authority, even at a young age, can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. So today's case takes us back to Thursday, May 26th of 1994. Songs on the charts included I Swear by All For One, great song, Don't Take the Girl by Tim McGraw, and I'll Remember by Madonna. Movies like When a Man Loves a Woman and Beverly Hills Cop 3 were in theaters. And the setting for today's case is Florence, Kentucky. 
Now, this area was known as a fur exchange between colonists and Native Americans. Over the years, people started setting roots in the area as the popular Dixie Highway passed nearby. The city is located in the northern part of the state in Boone County, very close to the Kentucky-Ohio state border. And it's actually considered part of the Cincinnati-Ohio metro area, which became popular in the late 1800s because of the pork industry. But back in 94, it was still considered a small suburban area. And our first degree, Sarah, grew up in Florence. The community is Florence, Kentucky, but it's kind of out in the county, so it's closer to Union. And it's a growing community now, but back in the mid to late 90s, it was still relatively small. Sarah had a typical small-town suburban childhood, which meant lots of friends in the neighborhood where she grew up. And one of those friends was a girl named Kristen Shrout. We met when we moved over to the neighborhood in like the late 80s, 87, 88, and she and I were in the same grade. And we were really good friends growing up. Sarah also got along great with Kristen's little sister, Lauren. The girls, uh, Kristen and Lauren and I, all got really close. We were in dance together. We dabbled in Girl Scouts, um, as well as Harvey, the dad, would coach us in softball, which we weren't really good at, but we gave it a go. Sarah spent a significant amount of time with Kristen, Lauren, and the rest of the Shrout family, which also included the eldest child, a boy named Clay. So we're going to learn a little bit more about this family. The Shrout home, which was a few doors down from Sarah's house, was a beautiful two-story brick residence with a pool in the backyard and flower beds in the front. And the Shrouts were your typical all-American church-going family. The parents were Walter and Rebecca Shrout. Walter went by his middle name, Harvey, and Rebecca went by Becky. And the two met at Georgetown College, which is just an hour away from Florence, and they got married after graduating. They were very involved in their church, singing in the choir, and teaching Sunday school. You would go to their house, and it, it was tidy all the time. Like, kids didn't even live there, but they would entertain as well. We'd have slumber parties. We'd have pool parties over there. They were very interested in their kids. Any activity they wanted to do, they would let them try it. Harvey Shrout was the director of NC Inc., a computer paper business in the area. Becky was a homemaker and would eventually go back to school to get her master's in education. They had several family pets, two horses, two dogs, and a gerbil. And the Shrout parents did everything they could to accommodate every desire of their three children. They were just really involved with their kids. Both of the girls were also in gymnastics. They got them horses. Clay, they were involved in as much of Clay's life as they could. He was welcome to be in any activity, whether it be sports-driven or academic-driven. I know with Clay, if he wanted to try a dirt bike, his dad would get him a dirt bike. Let's go do this. Anything to try to have this relationship with him. Any interest he had, you wanted to do science experiments, let's go to the basement and do that. Clay was three years older than our first degree, Sarah, and he excelled in school, landing him in the 97th or 98th percentile of students at his high school. Clay's course load included advanced placement classes, where he got A's and B's exclusively. His primary interest was math and computers. Sarah enjoyed a close friendship with Kristen and her sister Lauren through the late 80s, and by 94, they were 14-year-old eighth graders attending Ryle High School. The high school that we all went to was actually 7 through 12 grades because it was so small and it was such a new school. And because the school catered to students between 7th and 12th grade, it meant that Kristen's brother Clay was in the same school with them as an 11th grader. 
And by the time Sarah and Kristen began attending Ryle High School, they had gone on to make their own friends and develop their own identities, but they still remained close. After all, they did live down the street from one another. We were still relatively close. She was in to horses and really, really smart, where I was more of like the cheerleader and not so book smart per se. So eighth grade had gone off without a hitch. And before she knew it, Sarah found herself in the final week of school. And the date was May 26th of 1994. And surely we all remember this excitement of those final days before school lets out for the summer. You know, all your exams are done. So these last few days are usually anticipated to be really laid back, fun, smooth sailing right into summer. But unfortunately, that would not be the case for any of the students at this school. Sarah recalls what happened that morning. We were in our first period class, and it was a it was an eighth grade math class for me, and it was the last week of school. So you know, typical last week of school, where finals are done, we're just watching movies. Then, out of nowhere, Sarah heard a voice come over a classroom intercom. I remember them coming over the intercom, saying that our superintendent at the time was in the building. That meant nothing to us at the time as students, but our teacher. I remember her getting up to lock the classroom and kind of peek out in the hall and answer the phone in the classroom just to make sure that we were all locked in. And, you know, again, we were in the eighth grade, so we just went about our day. Okay, so what was going on? At the time, Sarah was blissfully unaware that a crisis was unfolding within the walls of Ryle High School. For teachers and trained personnel at the school, the intercom meant there was an emergency situation and they needed to shut and lock all the classroom doors. Sarah's teacher managed to do this without alarming her class. We stayed in class a little longer that morning. It still didn't dawn on us why. And then when we were finally released, we saw a lot of the upperclassmen, you know, with tears and crying. Okay, for real, what was going on? We have to go to school, so we thought people were just emotional about graduating, all of that. But slowly, Sarah realized that the tears she was seeing in the hallway were not bittersweet tears about the impending graduation. It was something horrifying. They slowly but surely started taking us down by class to the auditorium to tell us what had transpired. By that time, my older brother had already found me at school to come up and ask and see, because you know the rumor mill was flying, if I had seen Kristen yet that day. And I was like, no, you know, I I haven't, but we didn't have class until second or third period together. Okay, so why was Sarah's brother asking if she'd seen Kristen Shrout? Well, apparently, the rumor mill at school had been churning, and Sarah's brother heard something chilling and terrifying through the grapevine. Sarah recalls what her brother told her. The rumors were that Clay came to school and held his trig class hostage. If you recall, Clay was Kristen's 17-year-old brother. He was an 11th grader at Ryle High School. And there's no doubt that when Sarah heard this, she was shocked. But what her brother said next hit like a punch to the chest. He allegedly killed his whole family. It was just like a whirlwind, you know, but basically he admitted to killing his whole family that morning, that he had a very bad day and that he had one bullet left and it was for himself. Okay, holy shit. This can't be true, right? There are just rumors at this point. Sarah was really trying to remain calm. Classes there were 7th grade through 12th grade. So if you can imagine just like these little middle school kids running around with these high school kids and just the rumor mill going crazy. So you didn't really know what to believe. 
Meanwhile, Sarah was ushered to the auditorium where the school leaders would hold an assembly. And Sarah was terrified for her childhood friend and hoped with every fiber of her being that these quote-unquote rumors were just that, stupid high school rumors. We were so scared because, again, she was such a kind person. She and her sister, Lauren, as well. I mean, Lauren was just in the sixth grade at the time. It made me sick, to be honest with you. Here we are in our last week of school, getting ready to go, you know, state track meet, and our, our grade is getting ready to go into ninth grade and all of a sudden just everything just felt like your childhood was ripped from you. It was devastating. And as the assembly began, a terrifying realization came over Sarah and her brother. But unfortunately, most of the rumors were true. Slowly, Sarah would learn the chilling events of that morning and the devastation Clay Shroud inflicted upon his family. We're going to do a mini rewind back just a few hours to 5 a.m. on that very same morning of May 26, 1994. May 26 was a beautiful spring day. The sun was shining. The heads of most Ryle High students were filled with plans for the summer break, which were just days away. But Clay Shrout had very different plans. He woke up at 5 a.m. He went down to his father's Jeep, which was parked in the driveway. And there he unlocked the glove box and recovered a loaded Colt 380 Mustang pistol. He unloaded it and loaded it again just to make sure he knew how to work it properly. With the gun clenched in his hand, 17-year-old walked back into the home he shared with his family. He then headed up the stairs towards his parents' master bedroom. His parents, Harvey and Becky, were asleep in bed unaware that Clay was just feet away from them holding a loaded gun and pointing it directly at them. Clay raised the gun and shot his father, Harvey. Due to the impact, Harvey rolled out of the side of the bed. Startled by the gunshot, Becky woke up immediately, but then Clay took aim again and shot his mom too. Neither of his parents moved. Clay believed that he had killed them. And the noise of these two gunshots reverberated through the quiet home, and Clay's little sisters, Kristen and Lauren, were awakened. Clay walked to Kristen's room, and he assured her that the gun went off accidentally. Kristen was surprised and confused and told her brother to be more careful handling the weapon. And while she spoke, she turned away from him briefly. And in those moments, Clay took aim and shot his sister. After that, Clay headed to his youngest sister Lauren's room, but then he heard noises coming from his parents' room. And it was his father, Harvey. He was clinging to life and trying to reach the phone to call for help. However, Clay was determined to stop him and fired two more bullets into Harvey until he stopped moving. At this point, Clay resumed his objective of walking to his youngest sister, Lauren's room. Lauren had gotten up and was standing in the doorway, rubbing her eyes. She asked him, what's going on? Clay then said, just a bad dream. Then he got her back into bed and tucked her in. Lauren's last words to Clay were, ironically, about the nice dream that she had just had. But as soon as her eyes were shut, Clay placed the gun on the top of her head and pulled the trigger, killing her as well. Clay had just murdered his entire family at point-blank range. Why would he or anyone else, for that matter, do something like this? What possibly could have compelled him to obliterate the lives of his parents and his innocent sisters? We'll get there, but at this point, Clay's plans for that day were still not over. 
So by now it's approximately 6 a.m. And the mental state of Clay at this time is anybody's guess. But for whatever reason, he felt compelled to share what he had done with a friend of his. So he calls his friend Richard Brown. And when he calls him, he just casually confessed that he killed his entire family. And Brown didn't believe him at first. And he just like tried to change the subject. And that's when Clay told Richard to, quote, come over and take anything he would want, but just don't go upstairs. It's a mess up there. Clay also said, I wish it was a dream. I wish I could wake up. After the call, Clay hung up and started packing some things. He reloaded the pistol and put it in an old gym bag. He then packed more than 100 rounds of ammunition into the bag. Clay returned to his dad's Jeep and he climbed into the driver's seat. He started driving, and his first stop was an Ameristop, which is a retail store. There he bought some apple juice before getting back on the road. He drove to a random side street cul-de-sac before he picked up his father's cell phone. Now remember, it's the mid-90s, so this thing probably looked like a big, massive walkie-talkie. This time, he called his girlfriend, Danielle Butch. Danielle attended a different school nearby. And two weeks earlier, Clay and Danielle had actually gone to prom together. It's unclear what Clay said on this call, but the result of this conversation was Clay going to pick Danielle up from her house. That's what they agreed upon. They met at the front door of Danielle's house, and when she stepped outside, Clay grabbed her arm, pointed the gun at her, and said, quote, be quiet and walk towards the Jeep. It was now 8.35 a.m., and Clay told Danielle that they were going to go to his high school to find his English teacher and to find his assistant principal. Clay then started driving towards Ryle High School, where our first-degree Sarah is going through the motions of her mourning with no inkling that her world is about to be turned upside down. Clay's first period class was trigonometry, and he walked in late with Danielle. He motioned for her to take a seat right along with the other 22 students who were actually supposed to be there. And Clay's teacher, Carol Kanabrowski, was unaware of the carnage that had just unfolded at the Shrout home just hours prior and she obviously had no idea that Clay was armed. However, she did find it odd that Clay had walked in late with a student that she didn't recognize. Then, Clay spoke and told his teacher that, quote, someone was holding a class hostage and commanded her to lock the door. When his puzzled teacher asked who Clay was talking about, he responded that it was him and pulled the pistol out of his pants. Panic reverberated through the classroom. And Mrs. Kanabrowski tried to stay calm in an effort to de-escalate the situation. She asked Clay if she can help him. And his answer to the question would shock everyone in the class. Clay calmly told her and told the class that he had just killed his family. And he followed up by saying, I've had a bad day. Up to this point, no individuals of authority had been made aware of what Clay had done at home. The class was terrified. Again, the teacher stayed calm. She offered herself as a hostage and encouraged Clay to let his peers leave the room. In response, Clay ordered her to just keep teaching. He said, I don't care what you do. Just go on doing what you were doing. I'm just here for a while. According to the students who were present, some students started crying at their desks, terrified of what was about to happen. Others even tried to walk to him and talk to him while he just sat there and drank apple juice that he brought earlier before he had arrived at the school. That went on for a while, and then there was a knock on the door. Another student was out there, unaware of what was going on, 
behind the door. And this student had come to get the teacher's signature for a paper. Everyone in the room was on pins and needles about what Clay would do. But to everyone's shock, Clay allowed the teacher to go to the visiting student. And while standing in this doorway, the teacher silently mouthed a message to the student that someone had a gun in the classroom. The student understood. They got the message. Then they went straight to the main office and school officials immediately called the police. Finally, people knew and were aware of the situation that was unfolding. Slowly, everyone at the school would be alerted to the hostage situation and Mrs. Kanabrowski's trigonometry class. But what would happen next? Clay had already taken the lives of his family. Exactly how much pain and terror did he intend to inflict that morning? When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, 
Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. After Clay's teacher discreetly alerted a student visiting her classroom that one of her students had a gun, school administrators made an announcement over the intercom and alerted the police. Every teacher in the school shut and locked their doors. And remember, this is the announcement that Sarah heard in her first period class, the one she paid no attention to after her teacher shut and locked the door. As police were on their way, the school's vice principal, Steve Sorrell, sprung into action. At 8.48, Sorrell knocked on the door of the classroom Clay was holding hostage and boldly asked for Clay to come out of the class. Clay would not come out. So Sorrell negotiated that he himself would come inside the class if everyone held hostage could come out. And Clay agrees. So now it was just Clay and Vice Principal Sorrell alone in the classroom. Sorrell sat next to Clay and asked for the gun. But Clay refused to hand it over. A few minutes later at 8.52... Clay noticed that a police officer was standing in the hallway and was reaching for the gun in his holster. And it's at that point, for whatever reason, Clay backed down. He handed his gun over to the vice principal. Then immediately the officer dashed into the classroom and got Clay down and put cuffs on him. Here's one of the officers who responded to the school that day. Pretty much low-keyed, not upset, um... A rather unusual individual. Immediately after his arrest, Clay told the police what he'd done to his family hours before. By 9-11 a.m., police had responded to the Shroud home and confirmed every grisly aspect of Clay's story. Two officers entered the house through an open back door and walked upstairs to find all four members of his family dead. Investigators found six shell casings in a bullet hole in the master bedroom window. When they went to Clay's room, they collected his drawings, six joints or marijuana cigarettes as they referred to them back then, and the anarchist's cookbook was sitting on his bedside table. And we'll switch back to Sarah's experience that day for a second. So it's at this point in the story that these rumors begin making their way to her. Rumors that ultimately were confirmed to be true in the school assembly immediately following these horrible events and Clay's arrest. And following these revelations, the students were sent home early. Sarah's parents arrived to pick her up and bring her home, but home would not shield her from the horror of what happened. Because remember... Sarah lived just doors down from the Shrout family home. It was like a movie. I mean, everything that you can fathom from a movie you were living. And it was such a, it was a beautiful day. And the next thing I know, just all the neighborhood kids, we all just kind of rallied in a house across the street from there and sadly had to watch them bring, bring the bodies out and just watch all of this unfold, you know, right in front of our eyes. Beyond that, the media had caught wind of the crimes. 
in the meantime, getting questioned by the media. We didn't have an opportunity to let that even sink in what was happening. And then people were just shoving microphones in our faces. And we were just like, we're still kids. And then knowing that he came to school that day, too, that it could have even been worse. The loss of four innocent people, two of them children, is incomprehensible. But Sarah's right. Clay intended to take more lives that day before his plan was thwarted. And now come the questions. How could Clay do this? And why did Clay do this? Well, to answer this question in full, we need to do another mini rewind back to 1993, one year prior. 1993 is when Clay's interest in life began to change. He started to be intrigued by weapons, all sorts of weapons. And it wasn't just guns Clay gravitated towards. He had an assortment of knives, brass knuckles, nunchucks, a sword, and a BB gun. And neighbors would later say that Clay would make pipe bombs back in his backyard. High school is when we start to hone our primary interests. And imagining being a parent, it's difficult to discern between a harmless interest or a hobby or a dangerous interest in hobby. Some passions derive from angst against our parents. Heck, I was obsessed with true crime, and this was before it was really socially acceptable. And surely my parents could have raised alarm bells about that. But how is one to know if a childhood interest will result in darkness or not? It's a great question. It's, it is a great question, and it's one of those things that you can only know in retrospect, really, right? Yes, because some people who are into guns go on and just be like gun collectors and they're accountants on the side and it, it's yeah. harmless. And some people who are into true crime get super creepy about it and do weird <laughs> shit. And it's just, I mean, the only person with kids here is old William over here. So really what do you, I don't, I didn't mean old like years. I mean like William, <laughs> good old William is what I meant. <laughs> the so good old boy. Billy, why don't you weigh in? Yeah. Uh, well, well first the fact that he, I completely agree. If the kids likes weapons. If my son was there, like, like, and hey, I want, I'm collecting this, collecting that, that kind of stuff, that'd be okay. The anarchist cookbook kind of brings that over one more step. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know, what, if anybody didn't know what this was, is that with the internet, you can you could learn how to build anything. You can learn how to build any kind of bomb that you want. They didn't have that back then. They had the anarchist cookbook. Oh, that's what that was. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, this is a book that came out in 1971, and it told you how to make explosives, told you how to make drugs. It was just like completely sort of something that was known around town. And and kind of to get it was a badge of honor because it was kind of hard to get too. Badge of honor for who? Oh, for other badge of honor for like bad kids kind of thing, (laughs) or even just kids that are kind of like being on the black market, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of, it wasn't quite black market, but it was just kind of like, yeah, I got the anarchist cookbook, you know? So, um, now you can, you can learn how to do anything anywhere online. So, you know, that is a little bit, I would say that would be a red flag and it was just a matter of just being able to talk to your kids and be like, Hey, what are you into? Like, why, why are you sort of into this stuff? Hmm. That's what I would do. Right. And there's another aspect to consider here. Parents didn't know to be on the lookout for this kind of behavior because school shootings weren't really uh, in the zeitgeist as they are so prevalently today. This just wasn't something parents were afraid of happening, afraid of their children perpetrating. And, uh, you know, it's it was like a more innocent time. It was before school shootings were like massly broadcast on social media and it was in the news cycle every day. It just wasn't. So a little more about Clay's 1993 evolution. At this point, he started doing some of the like more cliche 
things that we associate with kids going down a dark path, right? He's wearing black clothes. He's wearing trench coats. He's wearing combat boots. He started listening to heavy metal and alternative music. And, you know, you do with that information what you like. Certainly there are um, misconceptions about people who do these things, but let's hear from Sarah about what she recalls from back then and what the perception was then. I do recall, though, you know, times like at slumber parties, a bunch of the girls would be, you know, watching movies or, you know, we would wake up and he would kind of be lingering around staring at us a little bit or would be on walks in the neighborhood with a trench coat on with combat boots, but it would be in the middle of July, you know, but this was during the grunge period. So, you know, that wasn't necessarily a red flag or anything. I think I knew that things were maybe a little off, but again, this family was very smart. I mean, just academically, they were in all of the, you know, AP classes. They were in what we called at the time, like a sparkle program. They were just very, very smart. And the parents, they had high expectations for their kids, but don't, don't all parents for their children. That's the thing. Clay was smart. He was really smart. He had advanced interests in subjects like computer science, and he excelled scholastically. And for a lot of parents, that's, you know, it's good enough. You can have whatever interests you want if you bring home A's at the end of the day. So you can take Clay's budding alternative interests for whatever they're worth. But the true turning point for Clay occurred at the end of 1993. Which is when his girlfriend at the time broke up with him. According to friends of his, the breakup took an incredible toll on him. And following the heartbreak, his emotional state began to deteriorate. From there, things continued to spiral. From what I understand, he might have started dabbling in some drugs and, you know, he up and quit his job. And there were just some different, you know, quick behavioral changes. And then just a week or two before the murders, Clay brought a weapon to school. I believe he was grounded because he brought a stun gun to school maybe a week or two prior. Like I said before, his parents, they they were strict parents, but they weren't abusive parents. You know, they just expected a lot of their children. So he got punished. If he got suspended from school, he got punished, which most parents did (laughs) back then. Sarah theorizes that Clay rebelled against his parents' decision to discipline him. There are a few more looming questions to address here. So remember when Clay took his girlfriend hostage in his dad's Jeep and he told her his plans to go to the school to find, quote, the assistant principal and his English teacher? So what was that about? Well, it turns out in the previous school quarter, his English teacher had dropped Clay's grade in the class from a B plus to an F. And the assistant principal was the one who confiscated his stun gun after he was caught with it at school a few weeks prior. Clay's parents reacted appropriately, and then they found out about the failing grade, and they banned him from driving his truck. They also took away his phone privileges and wouldn't let him listen to music. They also took all of the weapons Clay was so fascinated by. So what the Shrouds did not know is that this is what would set Clay off. What it boils down to is his parents grounded him, and he was sick of them telling him what to do. So from what I understand, that's the reason why he did it. Once in custody, Clay would go on to tell the police that he resented his parents. He confessed that he planned to kill them and take everything back that they had taken from him, especially his weapons. Clay also said he argued with his mom a lot whenever he was around her, but got along pretty well with his dad. He described feeling trapped, like there was no place for him in the world. And he felt pressure to go to college, that his parents 
quote, decided he would go to college before he was born. The reasons Clay fabricated, frankly, as the excuses for why he killed his parents, they're disgraceful. But what about his sisters? Why then would he hurt them? Well, you know, in the rumor mill had it too, he didn't intend on killing his sisters. He allegedly just didn't want them to live without parents. So he went ahead and it took probably a few weeks for it to actually sink in that there was a murder next door with the people that I know. And I knew the family that was murdered along with the murderer. It's something that haunts a lot of us still. It's something that I still have dreams about, just being able to witness that. He went ahead and shot his 12 and 14-year-old sisters because he didn't want them to live without the parents he had just stolen from them. Okay, dude, whatever you have to say to uh, sleep at night. Clay was taken into the Boone County Police Station and charged with four counts of murder, as well as one count of menacing, and one count of kidnapping and disorderly conduct for taking Danielle hostage. He was then held at the Kenton County Jail. The day after Clay's arrest, he enters the Boone District Juvenile Court in leg irons and a black coat over his head. He then pleaded innocent to all charges, which is pretty fucking gross. And outside of the courtroom, Clay's friends started talking to reporters about the kid that they thought that they knew. It's like another side nobody's ever seen. Yeah. It's like the evil side. It's like the back of his mind just came out. As Clay sat in jail, the judge ruled that Clay was not allowed to attend his family's funeral. The service was held at the church his family had always attended. In August of 94, a judge decided that Clay would be tried as an adult, which meant that he could face the death penalty. But since Clay had already pleaded innocent, he was presented a plea deal to avoid a trial. The conditions of the plea were that Clay would plead guilty but mentally ill. And if he agreed to do this, then all the charges associated with the hostage situation at his high school would be dropped. In exchange for that, he would serve 25 years to life in prison and would not be up for parole until 2019. This was the maximum sentence he could have received besides death. The judge also ordered Clay to get mental health treatment while behind bars. Clay accepted the terms of the agreement. Mr. Shrout, what is your plea to the murder of Harvey Shrout? Guilty but mentally ill. Because there was no trial, Clay never had to admit the alleged reasons that he decided to kill his family. He was kept at a juvenile facility until he turned 18 before being transferred to an adult prison. Luckily, Clay hasn't exactly been on his best behavior behind bars which strengthens the possibility that he'll never see the light of day outside of prison. Within the first 10 years of his sentence, Clay had racked up 29 infractions, including having weapons in his cell. Shocker. Since his sentencing, he's also tried to break out of prison three times. Those attempts landed him a transfer to a maximum security prison in Eddyville, Kentucky. So it seems like prison and psychiatric classes were not quite working to help control his violent tendencies. But weirdly, after 2002, he stopped acting up. And we're not sure what sparked this sudden change in behavior. Whatever he did, he kept up the good behavior until he became eligible for parole in March of 2019. After being behind bars for 24 years and 18 months, he sat in front of a parole board where he spoke. I don't think I deserve to be alive. Okay, and I don't mean that in a weird suicidal way or whatever. Um, I 
I hate what's happened, and I hate the way my life has turned The following week, a nine-person board denied parole for the now 42-year-old. But not only did they deny him, they also ruled that he would not be eligible for parole again until 2029. But the idea that Clay could be free someday still haunts Sarah. And while it may have sounded like remorse in that audio clip, Clay did a pretty gross thing during that parole hearing that you didn't hear. I don't know how much remorse he shows. I know at the um, parole hearing, he had talked about his mother molested him, and that was another reason why he did this. But I mean, in 20 years, 25 years of this going on, that has never once come out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Clay said his mom was molesting him. And he used that as some excuse for what he did, even though there was no evidence at all that this was true. More disgusting self-serving actions. Sarah has grappled with what happened to Kristen and her family since the day she learned their fate. I still think about it all the time. Every year on the anniversary, um, my parents and I talk about it, just kind of, you know, I wonder what the girls will be doing. And I can't believe it's been this long. I used to write letters to Kristen. Um, I don't do that anymore, but I still have them. That was kind of very therapeutic. But I mean, it helps to talk about it. And her perspective has forever changed. Is it nature of her nurture? Is it just some some people are bad seeds? Or, you, know, you, you just don't know. I, you just always want to be aware. I do look for signs now. It may make me a little more paranoid and maybe read into things probably a little too much. But I don't know if that, you know, in the time that we're living, if that's a bad thing necessarily, especially with being a parent now. But just really that unfortunately you can't, you can't trust anybody. I mean, and just always be aware. Do you guys remember after Clay's arrest when he told the police that he felt like there was no place for him in the world? While he was right, there is no place for murderous, treacherous killers in the world. So Clay is exactly where he belongs, rotting in a jail cell, where hopefully he's thinking about the faces of his family members every single day. All right. Well, a huge thank you to Sarah for being our first degree this week. If you're out there listening and you have a story to tell, please email us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. And check back tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. Keep your friends close. But not Close. Happy Sky Mall Day. Happy Ice Cream Pie Day. Whatever the hell that is. Mm. Happy Fajita Day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring and creating original music for the first degree. Producing by Caitlin Cleveland. Producing an additional writing by Taylor Rogers. And producing by Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Thanks, Alan. Sources for this episode are... The Cincinnati Inquirer, Fox 19, Eagle Country Online, The Associated Press, the book School Shootings by Lieberman and Sachs, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. 
Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.